Amen. Father, we just come before you tonight. And God, as we truly consider the cost this evening, as we truly take time to reflect, I pray that you would make this time with you so much more than uh, a religious activity, a tradition. God, that instead that we would have a personal moment with you. And I pray, Father God, for every person who would hear the sound of my voice and hear your word preached tonight, God, that their eyes and their ears would be open and their hearts would be open to receive your truth, Father God. I pray, God, for a fresh revelation of your love and, God, that you would just reveal yourself for who you really are, God, to even the coldest heart. There is no greater act of love that humanity has ever experienced than what we honor tonight. And I pray, God, that that love and your presence would be felt this evening. In Jesus' name, amen. I feel like this is something that's a danger for all of us, right? Is that the cross could become familiar. It's something that I often think about when we take communion as a church. I grew up in church. Anybody else grow up in church? We took communion once a month for my entire life. When I came to this church about 10 years ago, we took communion every single Sunday. And it's so easy for just to be like, okay, it's our cracker and juice break. And, uh, you know, we're going to pause for a moment and we're going to thank, but we don't always let it completely sink in. And that's a dangerous thing because when uh, the cross becomes familiar to us, it has a very negative effect on our entire life. And my hope tonight is for you not to just look at this cross as a symbol, but to remember exactly what was accomplished on that cross for you and me. Tonight, I hope that we will take a closer look and a deeper look within and truly consider everything that has been done for us. That this is more than a a popular TV show that we're all streaming right now on our devices. But this is history. This is a love story, but it's a true story about God's love for you and me. I want to open by starting with a a real-life story of heroism and a father's love. See, there was a, a family that had recently sold their home and bought a bus and converted it into a mobile home of sorts. And the plan was to travel uh, throughout the country to make up for all the lost years when dad was in the military and they were always moving around and he was kind of an absent father. And so he wanted to dedicate this season of traveling to just being with his family and just bonding with them and being close to them. And They're preparing for a long journey and they're hooking up a trailer to the hitch of this bus when suddenly the bus burst into flames as a result of a leak in their propane heater. They were immediately filled with horror at the realization that their four children were trapped inside. And so with no hesitation, Kyle, the father, leapt into action and he ran straight into the blazing bus 
to find his children huddled in a corner, hiding from the flames, desperately choking on the thick black smoke. And when he first arrived, his daughter was resistant to him because she was so terrified of the flames that when he went to grab her, she actually pushed against him because she was so afraid of being brought through the fire. And so thinking quickly, Kyle put his daughter in the tightest headlock he could, grabbed his other children by their hands, and turned toward the flames. In that moment, he recalls, it was if it was as if I was looking right into hell. Then it was as if, as if everything stopped and time froze. And so pulling his children through the flames, Kyle and his children suffered severe burns on their hands and their arms and their faces. And within one minute of exiting the vehicle with his children, the bus exploded. See, if Kyle would have hesitated even for a moment, the outcome could have been far, far worse. You know, if this would have happened to anyone else and someone else had walked up on that scene and seen the flames, they probably would have turned away and decided not to rush in there. But how many of you know there's something about the Father's love for His children that will drive a man into the very flames of hell to rescue his own? Many of us would admit that we'd probably do the same thing for our own kids, but, but what if the person inside that burning structure was our worst enemy? It seems a little much to ask that we would act heroic in that moment. I think if we all had time to consider whether or not to step out and do something dangerous to help someone else, we'd probably consider one of two things. Number one, we would, we would consider the type of person that we're running into the flames after. And number two, we'd probably assess the level of the risk to our own safety. Sometimes as humans, we don't have time to think, and so luckily instinct uh, kicks in and we're able to do things that are heroic because we don't even have time to think about it, we just react. But in the case of Jesus, he was aware before time began, the state of humanity and what he would have to do to reconcile his creation back unto himself. See, what Jesus did on the cross was so much more than an act of love, and it was that, but it was a rescue because we were in a hostage situation completely slaved to sin, but Jesus paid our ransom as we just sang. And so to truly understand the depth of Christ's love, we have to do more than just sing some songs and look at the cross, but we need to truly consider both our condition, admitting the fact that we were desperate and we needed rescue, completely helpless without him, and number two, we truly have to consider the cost the price that was paid for us. I want to invite you this evening to first consider your condition. See, every single one of us needed to be rescued. And at the beginning of creation, God created and formed man out of the dirt. And he breathed his very own breath of life into humanity. And he placed the two, the man and the woman, in the garden. And they had everything they wanted. He placed them literally in paradise. 
And they had everything they wanted, including an intimate relationship with the Creator and Father. But it was all ruined in one moment when the woman and the man both took their eyes off their Creator and they began to entertain the voice of another. There was only one rule in the garden. Don't eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And there was very good reason for that, because if they did, they would die. But the serpent was crafty, and we know that Satan came in the form of the serpent, and he had a conversation with Eve. And he said to her, you won't die. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you'll be like God, knowing both good and evil. And the woman was convinced she saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious and she wanted the wisdom it would give her so she took some of the fruit and ate it then she gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it too at that moment their eyes were opened and suddenly they felt shame at their nakedness so they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves see the man and woman doubted what God had said, and as a result, they felt the sting of sin for the very first time in all of history. And it's called shame. As a result, they hid. And humanity has been hiding from God ever since that day. See, instead of seeking forgiveness for the things we've done wrong, we typically cover them up. It's our human nature. We cover them up with the fig leaves of secrecy, excuses, rationalization, or comparing ourselves to others and our sin to theirs. And as a result, what happens is we slip further and further into darkness. And sin works through our lives like a cancer, eating away at every good thing that God provides. And we see not far after in biblical history the destructiveness of sin. For just one chapter later, we read the story of Cain and Abel. And God tried to step in and intervene and warn Cain, who was so full of hatred and jealousy towards his brother, his own flesh and blood, that God spoke out to him and he said, listen, Cain, you will be accepted if you do what is right. But if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out because sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you. But you must subdue it and be its master. See, this disease called sin wants to make you a slave so that you feel like you have no control. And that's how sin works. See, every sin that's allowed to crouch at your door, the door of your heart, unchallenged, will turn eventually into an addiction that warps you into someone hardly recognizable. And that's exactly what happened to Cain. Because the scripture tells us that one day he suggested to his brother, let's go out into the fields. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. I don't know about you, but when I read this, it seems impossible or very unlikely at best that a brother could have so much hatred for his own brother that he would go so far to kill him just out of jealousy. But this is the power of sin. And I'll tell you this, it's so easy for us to sit back and judge, but any human is capable of any sin 
if he's willing to entertain it long enough. If he's willing to tolerate it crouching at the door of their heart, eventually it will make its way in to the heart and it will manifest itself as behavior. And sin has continued its destructive work ever since then. And we see it in our nation and around the world. Marriages are torn apart by sexual immorality, betrayal, and abuse. Families are torn apart by anger, fear, alcohol, and drug abuse. Greed, lust, and the pursuit of power have led world leaders to the most evil acts of war and genocide. The human condition is bleak. Regardless of what level you have personally experienced the destructiveness of sin, we've all been a slave to it. And only Jesus can set us free. Paul said, we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. We were all destined to experience both the harmful effects of sin and the wrath of God. But when we were utterly helpless, Romans says, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. For this is how God loved the world, that he gave his one and only son, that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. See, God sent his son because he couldn't sit back and bear to watch us consumed by sin. He faced the flames for you and me. And so you see how when we understand our condition, when we understand that we're sick, it helps us understand why we need a savior. For if left on our own, we'd be condemned to the flames of hell. Not only that, but the hell that sin tends to bring upon us on this earth. So we've considered our condition tonight. Now let's consider the cost. Let's consider the price that Jesus paid. Jesus walked with 12 of his closest friends for three years in ministry, discipling them, training them, ministering alongside of them. Until one of them, from his inner circle of this 12, betrayed him. He was arrested and he was brought before Pilate. And we pick up the story here in John chapter 19. It says, then Pilate had Jesus flogged with a lead-tipped whip. The soldiers wove a crown of thorns and put it on his head. And they put a purple robe on him. Hail, King of the Jews, they mocked as they slapped him across the face. Let's consider the emotional suffering. We always go straight to the brutality of the cross. But let's consider a man who was betrayed by a friend. Consider the crown of thorns being pressed down upon his head. Was that painful? Yes. But humiliating as well. And a beautiful royal purple robe put around his beaten and whipped body, but done so sarcastically, mockingly. And on top of that, they're slapping him in the face. Can you imagine people slapping our Lord and Savior across his face and laughing at his pain? 
and then we consider the physical suffering. When it says that he was hit with this lead-tipped whip, what actually happened was he received 39 lashings. And every single lash would dig into his flesh. And as they pulled away, it would rip the flesh from his bones. So by this time, he was already near death and probably had exposed ribs from this horrible punishment. Later on in John chapter 19, it says they took Jesus away. Carrying the cross by himself, he went to the place called Place of the Skull. In Hebrew, Golgotha, there they nailed him to the cross. And now, as he's lifted up on the cross, all the people that loved him, all his disciples that walked with him, watch in complete and utter disbelief. Because now that same voice that confounded the wise and comforted the hurting and spoke hope to the hopeless now cries out in pain and agony. The wide eyes that once peered straight into the heart of the Samaritan woman at the well now squinting in pain as drops of blood from the crown of thorns drip into his eyes. The smile that disarmed the fearful, warmed the hearts of the hurting, welcomed little children now twisted in pain unrecognizable and the arms that embraced little children are now spread out wide on a cross and the hands, the very hands that he used to heal the sick the lame and the blind are now pierced with nails to a tree his feet that traveled miles from town to town bringing the greatest news ever told are now driven into a piece of wood with a spike. And the very breath of God that was first breathed into Adam, like we talked about earlier, was used to speak his last words when he said, it is finished. And finally, the very heart that beat for the sole purpose of reconciling God's creation back to himself stops. They placed him in a nearby tomb because it was Passover and Sabbath was approaching. Then they rolled the stone over the entry. Suddenly, the reality and the finality of it all begin to sink in. See, it's not enough to recognize this as a tragic and unjust event or even just an act of love. But we have to come to the realization that it's our sin that nailed him there. Jesus willingly suffered and died because he saw your helpless state and he was unwilling to surrender you to the flames. So we've considered our condition that we desperately need a savior and we've considered what it cost to pay the penalty for our sin. But now the ball's at our court. Because when you understand these two things, it's up to you to decide how you're going to respond to that revelation. I want to talk about our response. How do we respond? 
The same way the first believers responded after Peter's sermon on the day of Pentecost. He stepped forward and he boldly proclaimed the gospel. And it says in Acts 2.37 that Peter's words pierced their hearts. And they said to him and to the other apostles, Brothers, what should we do? Peter replied, Each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Has the gospel pierced your heart tonight? Because it doesn't matter how eloquent my preaching may be or how beautiful the worship team plays, but it's the Spirit of God that draws us into salvation. And if you're here tonight and you're feeling that tug towards you, I extend the same invitation to you that Peter did. I invite you to receive his forgiveness, receive his salvation. And the way you do that is very simple. It's two steps. You repent, meaning you turn away from your sin, and you believe and trust in him tonight. If that's you, you're here tonight, and you want to receive Christ, and you want to receive that salvation that he has for you, I want you just to stand up wherever you are, to the rest of us assuming that you're already following Christ assuming that you've already received this free gift of salvation how do we respond how many times have we heard the cross preached maybe for some of you this is the 100th sermon on it the 1000th sermon on it and yet we're susceptible to becoming very familiar to it and even falling back into old ways. So how do we respond? I believe the writer of Hebrews has something to say to us tonight. In Hebrews chapter 12, it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people. Then you won't become weary and give up. I want to challenge every single one of us tonight to throw off whatever's holding you back from running this race he's called you to. To get rid of the stuff that slows you down. To, to get rid of the idols that stand between you and God. The, the things that are sitting on the throne of your heart where only God belongs. The things that you keep rationalizing, that you keep covering up with the fig leaves of life. The fig leaves of secrecy and rationalization and comparing your sin to others. 
to keep your eyes on Jesus. Some of you, maybe tonight, you're just really distracted by the shiny things that this world has to offer. Or maybe it's the worries and cares that this world has to offer. And you've taken your eyes off of him. And before you even realized it, it may have been a slow fade, but you realized it all of a sudden that you faded away from him. And you've slipped, as you've taken your eyes off of the light of Christ, you've slipped further and further into darkness. And lastly, don't grow weary. Some of you are weary. Let his Holy Spirit encourage you tonight and fill you with strength again. Be reminded of what has been done for you. And so I'd like to invite you tonight as a way to respond to this message, to say, God, I throw off the things that hold me down. Jesus, I keep my eyes on you so that I won't stray away from you and fade off into the dark. And I refuse to give up. I'm not gonna grow weary. If that's you, would you stand with me this evening? And I'm gonna pray for you. Father, I just lift up your church to you tonight, Father God. And I thank you so much for your word. God, thank you of what we're reminded of tonight, Lord Jesus. And as we prepare to uh, partake in communion, I pray that you would take us back to that time and place and you'd give us a fresh revelation of both our condition and how desperately we depend on you and also the price that you paid. You spent it all on us. Reveal that to us, Father God. And God, tonight we repent of our sin. We repent of the things that, that weigh us down and are holding us back, Lord. I pray for that one right now, God, that they are feeling you tugging on their heart, saying it's time for you to get all in. It's time for you to not have one foot in the door and one foot out. It's time for you to give me my all. I pray tonight, Lord Jesus, they throw off those things that are keeping them from stepping in to their destiny in you. And God, for those that are just distracted by the worries and cares of this world, or by their possessions, by the other things that they value, Father God. I pray tonight that you would become their greatest desire for only you can truly satisfy. And finally, God, I pray for those who are weary. I pray for those who are discouraged. God, I pray that you would build them up tonight. In Jesus' name. Amen. What I'd like to, to invite you to do tonight is the team is going to uh, lead us in a song. And as they're leading us, I invite you to come up to the foot of the cross and grab your communion elements. You'll see that there are stacks of two. And so you want to grab both of them. The crackers in the bottom cup. The juice is in the top cup. And as they begin to sing, just come on up here, grab one of these and return to your seats. And we'll partake of it together. Amen. sorrows Lamb of God by His own betrayed the sin of man and wrath of 
back to that moment, Jesus, fully knowing what he was about to suffer, sat down at a table with his disciples, knowing that this would be his last meal with them. That's why we refer to it as the Last Supper. So everything that he said was going to be crucial because they were his last words for a while. And it says that he took the bread and he broke it and he gave each one a piece and he said this bread is my body that's broken for you I don't think the disciples fully understood the depth of those words they were limited and struggling the same way that we do sometimes when we take communion it just seems so unbelievable and for them Jesus had been someone that they'd walked with so closely and watched him work miracles. He seemed invincible. They took the bread and he said, eat this. Do it in remembrance of me because his body was broken for you and me. And so Father, right now, we thank you. God, that this little cracker that we partake of tonight, God, represents the same thing. And God, we don't want to eat of it quickly without taking the time to consider all of its depth, the depth of its meaning. God, this is the punishment that we deserved, but you stood in our place. 
we receive it together today in your name. Let's take the bread together. Then he took the cup and he said, this cup represents my blood shed for the remission of your sins. In other words, this was the cost. Every last drop. This wasn't a a blood donation. He spilled every last drop for you and me. Gave us his very last breath. And he said, this is for the forgiveness of your sins. Proving that he had no, his love had no limits. That he was willing not only to risk his life, but to willingly lay it down for you and me. Father, we pray right now that the reality of that would truly sink in. God, so that we would live a life of gratitude unto you, Lord God. Thank you, God, for, give, for the forgiveness of our sins. Right now, God, we take the time to search our hearts and pray, Father God, God, we turn from those sins. We turn from those things that are not pleasing to you, those things that offend you. And we thank you for the blood. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's take it together. children suffered uh, some pretty serious wounds. They're, they'll be forever disfigured. And one of the things we see when Jesus uh, appears to his disciples is he still carries the wounds. And those wounds are a reminder of what's been done for us. And I remember reading this article that the, the mother was saying that in some sense, she's thankful that her husband shares the same wounds as her children. Because now, the same one that brought them out of the fire is the same one that's going to bring them through this recovery and through this healing. And that reminds me so much of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Because he didn't just come and appear to us and reveal himself to us, but he put flesh and bone on. And he bore scars for us. And the same one that understands our pain not only saves us, but is going to lead us into the healing that we need for today. How good is God? Amen. I want to invite you to stand with us one more time as we just sing out and close the rest of the evening.
so much for coming out tonight. And uh, don't forget that there's a conclusion to this story. And we look forward to seeing you all Sunday morning at 10 a.m. Was that is that that Carmen song that says it may seem like Friday night, but Sunday's on the way, right? So my, my prayer is that anticipation would build up in your heart for what we celebrate on Sunday. So don't miss it and don't come alone. It's too important of a message and it needs to be heard by as many people as possible. Amen. All right, you guys have an incredible night and weekend. God bless you. We love you.